Would you like the baby back ribs special? <laughs> it's particularly good. It is especially spicy. <laughs> In a faraway land from tales of old, where dragons rage and battles unfold, we find a quest that's shared amongst our crew. A halfling rogue with speech impediment of gold And a lizard man who claims that he'll be back A vegan man who's picky And a half-elf bard who's tricky And an old man with a mystery-laden past It's the idiots of Idria What adventures lie ahead, what will they do? It's the idiots of Idria. If you want to know the story, just stay tuned. Just stay tuned. Good morning. Good afternoon. Maybe even good evening. This is the boys from Idiots in Idria. Today we've got a special episode for you. Just a little something to wet your lips, wet your ear holes. Today we're going to be going into details of the expanded history of Idria. We're gonna be covering some of the races, some of the clans, the guilds, and some of the extra lore and history that has helped set the scene behind the scenes of the world that we're playing in today. Today, I've got Tyler, I've got Lee, and I've got Chris, AKA Scorn, Tumesco, and Aphidon in the flesh. Yeah! Hey, hello. We've got half the boys <laughs> present. <laughs> the but better the, half. The better, the better half, oh no. I love all the boys. Sorry. <laughs> Love you guys. Not true. But today we're going to be going into a little bit about what's been making up this world. Just to set the scene and paint more of a mental picture for everybody. We're going to start first off with Tyler talking a little bit about some of the very interesting and possibly, you know, maybe in the future, some historical events that will come into play in the campaign. But we've already touched on a little bit about something slightly related to what he's going to go into. So let's mm. hear more. And disclaimer, before we get started, understand that this is a lot of information that we have all put a lot of heart and effort into elevate the experience for you listeners. So with that being said, we wanted to get this out on an episode so that you can go back and listen to it whenever you need more clarification on any topic that comes up in the rest of our adventure. And I want to do a special thank you for Brandon, aka Ari, because he's helped me put together a lot of this information as well. But to the boys that are here... We're going to give you something good today. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a beer. Here we go. Going to grab a beer. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Gaxius, but I'm sure most of you knew that already. <laughs> My name is Francois. Francois. It is a pleasure to finally meet you, the Mr. Garcias. I am Chaser. I have traveled very far to speak to you. And to the rest of you. It is such a pleasant surprise to meet such interesting people like yourselves. It is a pleasure, monsieur. It's always a pleasure to share a campfire with you fellows. Always glad to be exchanging our stories as we do. I am told you are a traveler. Ah, oh, that is true. But of course, I do not get as far as the master sorcerer himself. 
I'm merely a humble servant of the people. I myself am a historian. I have spent many moons learning more of the people that inhabit this land. From sea to sea, I have traveled far and gained knowledge. But I seek most the knowledge that is within the mind of the greatest wizard to ever walk the land. I will take that compliment and I will try to do my best to impress you and give you the knowledge to better paint the picture of Idria. Please, sir, your modesty, it humbles me. You are the Golden Dragon. Yes, well, don't go saying that in too many places, but amongst likewise company, I will accept. That you are the Golden Dragon of legend. I have heard such amazing tales. I cannot wait hear more. You, my friend, you seem to have perked your ears up when I say that. You know something. Perhaps I do, and perhaps not. Perhaps we will all become close friends after tonight. But please, drinks first. Ah, yes, I would love that. Ah. I suppose I shall begin. I would not have it any other way. The idiots in Idria, age of Hematai. Long before the age of the Dragon Lords, Idria knew a different kind of darkness and fear. The tyrannical god Bane commanded his loyal ally Orcus, the demon lord of undead, to create a living plague upon Idria, to break the era of silence, and to introduce an era of the gods. Before this event, the gods were nearly unknown to the inhabitants of Idria, and all the races of the world kept to themselves. In a way, Bane's plan was successful. The people of Idria were made well aware of his and other gods' existences due to Orcus's creation, but many gods didn't take well to this attack on Idria. These other gods made themselves known to certain races of Idria, Torm to the humans, Malar to the dragonborn, Gond to the dwarves, Mistra, Meliki, and Bashaba to each subrace of elves. This religious awakening built two occupations, the clerics and the paladin, to fight back against this new living plague. The plague was known as Hematai, a draconic world, which the Kumantung later changed to the word vampire. Orcus unbirthed the first vampire from a soul taken from the deepest layer of hell, Adralman, who was executed for countless murders and his life only resurrected in hell and tortured for the sole purpose of making his hate grow. This man's name was Azrael Frey. Azrael was unbirthed into Idria to be the lord of the vampire, with all his previous memory of his past life and torment in hell fueling his hate. He first took his revenge on his own race for killing him, the drow, who were mere cave-dwelling elves at the time, by forcefully taking the most beautiful daughter in every family as his own, feasting on their blood and turning them into his loyal spawns that followed his every will. With his new spawns, he ran the rest of the drow deeper into their caves, which previously no drow has ventured before due to the dangerous creatures that hid within. These caves ran deep underground all throughout Idria, and were later given the name the Underdark. There are two notable entrances to the Underdark, the first being the Greytop Caves near the west coast where the drow previously lived, and the second being connected to the dwarven mines under Duomor. Azrael commanded his spawns to build him a manor at both entrances, so he can ensure the drow stay in the Underdark where they belong. So one manor was built in the valley where the Greytop Caves began, and the other was built on top of the cliffs of Duomor, where the, dwarven, where the dwarves in Dragonborn were the next victims of the Vampire Plague. He took no spawns of their, either of these races, but rather slaughtered them for food for himself and his army of vampiric women. 
It wasn't until he focused his hate on the other elves and humans that the gods intervened. For he then wasn't only taking more spawns to use as his own, but he was also forcing himself on every pregnant woman in the village to taint their children into becoming half-breeds known as the Dampir or Daywalkers, whom often went most of their lives without knowing they possess vampiric power and passed that power down to their own offspring. The gods helped the races of Egea in many ways. Bashaba taught the drow dark magic in Kelsus. Mistra taught Hyos many different magical styles, but most notably light magic. Maliki taught the wood elves to use magic of the natural world and rituals. Gun taught the dwarves how to craft the ore they mine into weapons that can harm the vampire. Torm gifted his power to humans, who vowed to serve him as clerics to heal the land. And Malar gifted Dragonborn with a dragon egg to each clan, in divine magic and power to all became paladins in his name. As the drow hid in Underdark, and the other elves focused on self-sustaining their own people, the dwarves secretly forged silvered weapons and delivered them to the dragonborn and humans, who took up arms against Ezreal, the tyrant. Ezreal arrogantly blamed himself to be unkillable, and engaged the two armies directly with his hundreds of spawns whom all met their demise that day. As Azrael realized he was to be defeated, he fled back to his manor on the cliffs of Dulmor, being chased by Boris Everham, the king of the humans, and Koshkalankar, the chief of the red dragonborn. And Koshkalankar, the chief of the golden dragonborn. In a final battle between the heroes and the vampire master, Boris was mortally wounded before Koshka struck the final blow to Azrael. With Boris's last words, he told Koshka to never let the evil invade their lands again and to keep their races united as he gifted his crown to the golden dragonborn, whom was shortly after named Emperor of all Idria. Following the fall of Ezreal and his plague, the dragonborn race was revered and praised for the heroics. The drow stayed in hiding in the underdark due to shame and the newfound dark magic. The dwarves became distrusting of the elves due to the lack of contribution to the battle. The lesser seen races of Idria came out of hiding, most notably the halfling. The humans became humbled by the actions of their late king and submissive to dragonborn rule. But after Koshka's death to natural causes 30 years later, they named themselves a new king. Due to Boris never having any children of his own, they chose a young general, whose bravery was pivotal to their victory 30 years prior. Hamlin and Bertrand, as of the dragon eggs gifted to each of the dragonborn clans. All but two of the clans kept their eggs themselves until they hatched nearly 200 years later. The red dragonborn's egg hatched just a year after the death of Azrael and they hid it deep in the caverns of High Peak Mountain to guard a vast trove of gold and jewels that their clan had taken for themselves. In the Golden Dragonborn's egg, Koshka kept himself and was secretly gifted to Hamlin upon his death. This egg was hidden away in the new capital city of Everhelm and hatched 50 years before the Dragon Cataclysm. Its whereabouts died with Roland the Slayer. The Dampir, as mentioned earlier, kept their vampiric bloodline powers a secret, knowing well that they would be hunted down or killed if anyone knew their origins but the vampiric bloodline wouldn't die with them, but their children and their children's children and all of their lineage would forever be Dampiers, whether they knew it or not. The gods punished Bane by locking up Orcus and making his daughter half-mortal. Then they formed the Law of Balance, being that good and evil should always be in perfect harmony and never teeter due to goodly influence, and to break this law means death. Many years of peace and healing followed the age of Hematai, and the world almost forgot fear and suffering until, that is, the dawn of the dragon lords. Dawn of the dragon lords. After the death of Emperor Koshka Lankar, 30 years after the age of Hematai, the dragonborn clans naturally separated themselves from the other races. 
Their guard, Malar, had taught him the thrill of the hunt, but the hunt was over, and many found going back to their daily routines to be difficult. Little to no, little to no progression of culture, civilization, and technology was established for the Dragonborn during the years following Kushka's death. While dwarves, humans, and elves advanced the societies extravagantly, the Dragonborn instead took to the wild, being drawn to the hunt, as they called it, the slaying and taming of any and all beasts of the world. The other races of Egea disapproved of their new found passion, labeling it mindless bloodthirst, and soon the once most revered and powerful race of Egea became nothing but savages in the minds of all other races. For nearly 200 years, the Dragonborn was scoffed at and despised. It is until the dragon eggs of Malar, that is, until the eggs, that is, until the dragon eggs of Malar had gifted them all those years ago began to hatch. Then they were feared. Yet, malevolence wasn't something the Dragonborn clans really harbored until 600 years later, when the clans were united under a single chieftain. Sick of blatant racism and torment from the other clans, the chieftains of each Dragonborn clan came together to discuss rallying together to become a powerful and revealed race that they once were. A fitting challenge was discussed among the ten clans. Out of the ten clans, eight had risen dragons, who were nearly ancient at this time. But the golden dragon was missing, and the red dragon was hiding away in High Peak Mountain. So instead of a trial by combat or test of strength, rather a challenge of beast taming is what was selected. Each of the ten clans presented a champion to enter the caverns of High Peak Mountain, find the ancient dread dragon, and be the one to tame it. For only one true chieftain could command the ancient dragon of the mountains. Ten dragonborn entered High Peak, and on the dawn of the third day, one emerged. With eyes of fire and a toothy grin, the red dragonborn approached those who were still waiting. Before stopping and turning back towards the vast mountain he exited, he lifted a single hand in the air. The mountain quaked and shoot beneath the ground of the onlookers as magma erupted from the precipice. And in a thunderous clap, the ancient dragon emerged from the smoke and ash. It swooped down from the sky and landed at the cave entrance, bowing its head towards its new master, Dornak. Dornak was made Lord Chieftain of all the clans and was given the title Dragon Tamer, he who rides thunder. His first decree as Lord Chieftain was choosing an individual from each of the clans, including two of his own, to serve on his council. Those chosen from the chromatic clans were Ashagog, Ularok, Milivisk, Urtug, Silofti, and Ishtosh. And from the metallic clans, there was Jordu, Orsif, Dilren, Torzak, and Yemag. Each of the council members was given the dragon of their clan to help them aid their lord chieftain, all except the two red dragonborn and the golden one who didn't have a dragon. Thornak followed a simple philosophy, one which started the dragon cataclysm. If our race is no longer respected, we will be feared. Thornak planned for war, disregarding the advice of his council and started building an army which led to the metallic dragonborn on his council plotting against him. But their conspiracy never came to happen. Thornak never really trusted the red Thornak never really trusted the metallic dragonborn. He thought them weaker, more susceptible to persuasion and deception. He would never take their counsel as they plotted against him. He made his own plot instead. As they moved forward with their plot to assassinate him, he was ready. He had his guard arrest them and execute them in front of his army to make an example of them to any who would betray him. Their dragons were given a choice to either, either submit to Donak's rule or to perish. All the metallic dragons chose death over tyranny. Meanwhile, the young human king Roland Bertrand had a secret hidden within Everhelm City. The missing golden dragon. A dragon named Gaxus. A dragon named Gaxius. 
a secret each king had passed down since Kushka had first given the egg to Hamlin Bertrand. However, Gaxius was much younger than the other dragons, only having hatched from his egg 30 years ago. So the secret needed to be kept, in fear that Dornact would see the young dragon as a potential threat and have him killed. Dornact's army grew to over 40,000 soldiers and under the command of his council, which he newly titled Dragon Lords, he began wreaking destruction across all of Idria. Hi, I'm Tumesco. Not a lot of you may know this, but I was actually born and raised just outside Everhelm. I also went to college not far from Everhelm. As such, I know a lot about their guilds. So I'm going to take a moment to talk to you about the various guilds that can be found about Everhelm. One of the first and biggest guilds is the Trade Guild. It's known as the Barter's Union. The guild leader is Ephedrion Vorn. He's a hardworking elf transferred from Aldarion to help get Everhelm back in order. He does his job so well, he became the leader of two guilds. That other guild, the second biggest guild in Everhelm, the Banker's Guild, known as the Wampum Authority. Ephedrion's high-class skills led him to being voted as the single guild leader of both the guilds. As the leader of two guilds, he hired an assistant, Ari Wraith. But Ari's been missing for some time. Next, there's the Blacksmiths Guild, otherwise known as the Ironside Smiths. The guild leader is Forkel Damdax. He's a legendary smith from Duramor. He created a legendary weapon that was supposed to go on to his son, but sadly, his son didn't take up the business of being a smithy. Now the axe hangs over the hall in the Ironside Smiths meeting area. The Jewelers Guild, otherwise known as the Gemstone Organization, is ran by Ingots Urel, a blonde human male adorned in flashy clothing encrusted with gems. The Brewers Guild, otherwise known as the Ale Masters, is led by Bashus Murdoch, a rough and tumble orc with a skill for ale and commanding respect from the community. The community gave him his top spot in the Ale Masters after creating the Tavern Haven of Ale, only now rivaling Ale Hala. The Arcane Guild is the Magisterial Guild. The guild leader is Alison Kizath, a half-elven woman with long hair and piercing green eyes. She was once the youngest teacher at the Occultic College before taking a position as the Arcane Guild Leader here in Everhelm. What a fox. The Hunter's Guild, known as the Jaegerites, is led by a battle-hearted human male by the name of Kalistro Mumra, with long flowy mohawk and a full body tattoo. Now I'm going to hand it off to my buddy, Maximus Verga, who knows about the Duramor Guilds and can tell you more about those. Maximus here. Ooh, that's good. Yes. Here to talk to you about the Blacksmith Guild, the Hammersmiths. The guild leader of this Duramore-based guild is Grimjow Hammersmith, the rival of Forkel Damdax from Everhelm. Grimjow changed the name of the guild after Forkel left due to some disputes. The formal name was Damdax Almighty. They also have a rival Jewelers Guild known as the Ornamental Association. The guild leader, Maris Cloudblade, a bald dwarf in a fancy suit and a ring on each finger. The Machinist Guild. The Machinima Craftsmen are led by Gangam Sulfis, the only non-dwarf to hold a guild title in Durmore. His tech has brought many milestones to the creation and fortification of Durmore. The Stonework Guild. The Terra Federation. Cobain Beardsley is the master builder in the eyes of the king and he leads this guild. He works hand in hand with almost every other guild that uses the earth. The trade guild is known as the Dealers Union. The guild leader is Angelus Dugshire. His direct contact with Efsedlin has built a relationship almost as strong as the Treaty of Peace between kingdoms. 
the Brewers Guild, known as the Bruhaha Brewers. It is led by Qbert Damdax, the son of Forkel Damdax, who was once thought to be taking over the family guild in the armed kingdom of Duramore, but he knew his knack for ale was more through to his heart. He runs the most successful tavern, Ale Hala, that is rivaled and closely followed by Haven of Ale. The Bankers Guild in Duramore is the currency regulation administration. It is led by Alestra Serendipity Casterhand. They say her way with money is almost magical. I would agree. I guess that brings us to the Eldrian Guilds. My name is Mavis Luigi. I was born just outside Eldrian, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Eldrian Guilds. The Woodworkers Guild is known as the Timberman. The guild leader is Randu Martus. He's a high-class wood elf in charge of the Timberman that maintains the balance of Earth and its beings here in Eldrian. The Knowledge and History Guild is known as the Erudute League. The guild leader is Phineas Copley. He's a very tall and slender half-elf who believes he has more power than he does. Blacksmith Guild is known as the Ore Collective. The guild leader is Sasha Clyde, one of the most buff and feared elven women in Eldrian. The Hunter's Guild is known as the Predator's Packs. The leader there is Shira Medister. His name was made fun of until he became one of the youngest Hunter's Guild leaders to come about since Eldrian has stood. The Trade Guild is the Commerce Market. The guild leader over there is Oakley Burkhart. She's a taller wood elf woman, often mistaken as a high elf for her beauty, but some say that's how she earned her position, that and her relationship with Shira. The Arcane Guild is the Occultic Spellword. The college is called Zaber College for the Occultic, and the guild leader is Inkenzi Versen. Having been the only having been only the fourth to hold the title's guild leader, he holds himself in the college to quite a high standard. The headmaster is Holden Versan. He was brought up under the tutelage of, of his brother and earned a spot as headmaster of the Zauber College, being only fifth to hold the title. And you know, those are all the main guilds in the main cities, so why don't we pass this along and learn a little bit about the clans that inhabit Idria. Yes, greetings my friends. My name is Hasler. I come from the far sands of the west. I spent a lifetime acquiring information and studying books and different manuscripts, learning the knowledge and origin of the different clans of Idria. I am glad to have gathered you all together to speak this to you, that you may take this information and use it to your advantage. First, let me tell you the tale of the Groshbol, Snorks of Gaust, and the chilly marshes to the northwest of Bulgond a hardened clan numbering somewhere around 5,000. Their homes are in the mountains that border Bulgond and Gaust. Atop these icy peaks, they have made their hood-like cities, using the trees native to those mountains to build up their fortresses and homes. The white wood helps conceal much of their civilization. Not much is known about them in their history except for the occasional adventurer or a scholar like myself who returns from the area telling wild tales. Rumors have it that they ride upon the backs of great white birds, much like falcons, but large enough for three hawks to ride upon the back of one. Bulgra, the largest clan of orcs in Bulgon. The Bulgra have villages and towns that have an estimated population of 20,000 or more. 
They inhabit areas across the hill and marsh covered landscape. Not known for being kind to any but their own, the orc tribe will occasionally grant safe passage to those who bear great gifts for their chief, like myself, or are willing to complete the quest for them giving them something they want. The Borgra are fine blacksmiths and have a vast knowledge of natural magic that is magic that can be used to influence or change the land and creatures. The history and origin of the Bulgra is shrouded in mystery since they were only discovered 200 years ago, but their oral history dates back 800 winters. The Zogdar tribe, the mountain dwarves that moved down from Durimor and Thordum to mine for precious metals and gems around the volcanic fields of Volkavar. These dwarves lived peacefully alongside gnomes, tiefling, orcs and dragonborn. The Zogdar clan brings in anyone who wishes to live and die by their own hands and try to strike it rich by the lava rivers of the great volcano Volkavar. There are around 3,000 individuals that work the fields, caves and hills for gems and ore to ship back to civilization. Tormundur are the people of Torm. Legend has it that the people of these parts are direct descendants of the god Torm himself. Honorable and devout followers of his faith, the Tormander peoples number nearly 4,500 and inhabit the dense forest-covered coastal region known as Ilstrani. These people are all humans and find their work primarily in woodworking, sheepbuilding, blacksmithing and bounty hunting or hired sword work. Tormunders are the closest with nature and the ocean above all other humans in Idria. Their sacred city of Tormdas on the east coast of Idria in Ilstrani is a popular pilgrimage place where many faithful venture to. In the ancient temple to Torm, there is a large rock that appears to almost have been melted partially. Atop it are two footprints set into the once melted stone where Torm ascended to godhood. It is the most sacred of places to anyone of the Torm faith. Nabiri are the people of the sun. The Nabiri are a nomadic race of humans who roam the lands of Nabid, Zareth, and Scaris. They favor the dry climate of the south and rarely are seen outside the borders of those large areas of wilderness. They have several small outpost cities throughout the southern lands and they operate the largest prison and work camp in all of Idria. The Crucible is Idria's largest prison and can hold an astonishing 10,000 prisoners, yet only a quarter of that are held there at any one time. The massive pyramid prison sits between the great Ishtith river and the dry peaks. This allows prisoners and supplies to be sent down river at a much quicker pace. Each of the three large factions of people contribute funds to keep the prison fortress upkept and secure. The largest of the Nabiri cities is that of Waktu, the city on a thousand legs. This city is a myth to many of the civilized peoples in the north, but to scholars, like myself, no other city is like it. The moving city is said to be powered by the sun and sits atop a thousand long mechanical legs that allow it to traverse any terrain and move the entire city across a dry desert in amazing time. Truly spectacular. There are said to be thousands of people there, but no one truly knows for sure. <laughs> Waktu is known by the oldest of wizards and scholars as an oasis of knowledge. Nomria. This is less of a clan and more like the ancient and hidden city of the gnomes in Idria. Very few select outsiders have been permitted to know the location and entrance to the city of Nomria, <laughs> except for myself. <laughs> its true location is far beneath the mountains of High Peak on the border of Thordum. The doorway is hidden and is only visible once a year on the summer solstice. 
The door appears to be a large, 20 foot high by 10 foot wide, glowing green doorway covered in gnomish runes at the side of a large, smooth rock face at the base of the mountains. Only the correct passphrase in Gnomish or a jade key of Nomria can open the doors. And believe me, friends, I will not give you that passphrase here. <laughs> Select elves, dwarves, and <laughs> one particular wizard of some renown, if you want to call him a wizard, Mr. Gaxius, have been granted access to the fantastic halls of the city. The city rivals that of Eldrin in size and almost appears to be completely crafted from metal and stone. Gnomes are the most technically advanced race in Idria and have long since discovered flight, powered weaponry, mechanical devices and a combination of machine and magic. Truly spectacular. Their cities hum with life as electricity and magic power every bit of their way of life. All who visit are sworn to secrecy, myself included, and are assigned a bodyguard detail to make sure there is no spying or theft. The gnomes have the power and means to conquer all of Idria in a matter of a few short months if they truly set their minds to it, but their newfound power to travel the multiverse has them much more focused on furthering their knowledge. Much like myself. Fairfield. The vast majority of halflings originated from the Fairfield clan many hundreds of years ago. They have since spread across the lands of the green fields. The largest city and home to the biggest agricultural market in all the land is Willowbrook. The city of halflings is nearly 5,000 and they have no walled fortress, for they have never needed such things. The rolling green hills, flower pastures, forests and wetlands are the ideal place for agriculture to bloom. The Fairfield clan has long been the leading supplier of livestock and food to the major cities of the world. The ales, wines and baked goods are a favorite in every major city too. The Fairfields have been the premier party throwers for the last 400 years and have solidified themselves as the official name in party throwing, the absolute best if I may say so myself. The Fairfields have also worked very hard to align themselves as a friend to everyone in hopes to never be attacked or invaded. The gnomes particularly love the Fairfield halflings for their discretion and secretly portal in supplies to Nomria daily in exchange for coin and knowledge on farming and brewing. <laughs> but you did not hear this from me. Aladar. The Aladar are the ancient wood elves and are said to be the oldest race in Idria. No one is quite sure when they first arrived, but the high elves, humans, dwarves, halflings and even gnomes are said to be the wood elves who first approached their ancestors. The high elf history dates back 2000 years and their earliest records tell of beautiful three cities hidden deep within the forests of Eldarion and the wood elves that were there to greet them upon arriving. Wood elves supposedly have a lifespan of a few hundred years, but several elders have been recorded at much, much older. Their central city in the trees is Aladarius and is home to thousands of wood elves. What is most interesting is their connection to nature and their goddess Meliki. The elves take care of the nature in the world and are in turn blessed by the goddess. Should one ever encounter a unicorn in those sacred forests, tread lightly and with the utmost respect, for you may be in the presence of an ancient goddess. Thank you, friends, for sharing all of your wise knowledge. Now I have just a few things I would like to talk about. I'd like to share with all of you the origins of some of the races here across Idria. My name is Gaxius, for those of you who might have heard my name. And let me start with the halflings. They are simple folk, known far and wide for their agricultural prowess and the brewing of 
the finest ales. They are generally loved and respected across all races in Idria. Never have the halfling people took arms up against another, nor do they seek conflict. A halfling will sooner put a tanker of ale in your hand and a warm meal in your belly before lifting a blade to your neck. They have been, however, known to get angered at pesky vermin such as field mice and other unsavory beasts who might threaten their precious crops. Halflings grow every variety of fruit and vegetable, as well as grains and the succulent green leaf. The consumption of savory meals, cold ales, and the smoking of pipeweed are staples of a halfling's diet. The life of a halfling is that of peace and prosperity since the first clan, the Fairfields, arrived on the shores of the Greenfields. A party of 300 halflings fled their ancient home in the now known as the Forsaken Isles. The fabled long-lost islands to the west, these halflings are all that remain of a once strong and mighty people who are all but eradicated by a natural disaster, or so the story goes. The arrival in Tindria predates the humans by a hundred years, making them the fourth recorded race to inhabit the lands, but first to settle down in the greenfields. They were greeted by emissaries of the Wood Elves and quickly taught more effective ways to build their homes as well as the cultivation of crops. The soil in the greenfields is rich with nutrients and quite durable, making home building beneath the hills an ideal home. Halflings have always prepared, halflings have always preferred establishing homes in the holes in the ground or into hills. But this rich earth was much more favorable than their old homeland. And every fifth spring, a new governor is chosen to lead the halfling people. The current leader is Ophelia Fairfield, a haughty woman of good taste and one of the strongest halflings to ever walk the emerald landscape. Ophelia has beautiful brown braided hair, strong arms, kind eyes, and is one of the tallest halflings to ever walk these green fields. An astonishing 410. In recent years, Ophelia has trained a vast majority of halflings in the ways of combat and in the hope that one day, if they need to defend themselves, they can. The High Elves, noble and wise, if you were ever to ask someone to describe the High Elves, you might hear that that's most likely what they think. <laughs> but do not ask the Dwarves for their description, oftentimes would be much more mm, unsavory. This however has not always been the case. The High Elves of Eldarion arrived on the shores of that sacred forest 3000 years before the Great Dragon Wars and the slain of the Great Dragon by Roland of Everhelm. High elves arrived on white ships to the shores of Eldarion from their home in the south, a continent that seems to have simply disappeared from any map that we have today. The high elves tell of their ancestral home as a beacon of light, where elves lived a millennia at least. 
masters of navigation, the art of war, and their exceptional skills in the arcane, high elves have long been considered by many to be the most educated in all of the lands. The first to greet them upon their arrival were the ancient wood elves. They marveled at the craftsmanship of the high elves' ships and the use of strange new magics. It wasn't until the Wood Elves took them deep into the forest to show them the ley lines of the world that they truly became enthralled by this new world. Ley lines, or veins of the world, are pure magic that flow like a river throughout Idria. The Wood Elves showed them how to harness the magic and utilize it without killing themselves or hurting the world. With time, and no small amount of skill, the elves worked together to create a bastion of knowledge and beauty amongst the seemingly never-ending force of Eldarion. One day, some 500 years after arriving in Idria, the High Elves ventured to the east, an area that came to be known as High Peak, in search of new ley lines to explore and tap into. The excavation team accidentally discovered a hidden city beneath those mountains. They had hardly dug a hundred feet into the mountain when they found themselves in what appeared to be a strange town. These explorers happened across a race of beings that spoke a strange language and had long hair on their faces and were no more than five feet tall. With a bit of skill, patience, and magic, the elves and these new people began to speak to one another. They called themselves dwarves, the children of Gond, and were stubborn people. With all their gruff and brutish ways, the elves were shocked by the skill at metal and jewelcraft. Never in all their days had the elves ever laid upon such radiance and splendor. But in the heart of the elves grew a deep desire for the wealth under the mountains. They exchanged gifts of elven tools, weapons, and magical artifacts for piles of precious jewels and gold. It wasn't long after their return to the newly created Eldrian city that the rulers had wished to acquire these precious items. The High Elves, against the wishes of the Wood Elves, sent a large force to the Dwarven city to discuss a trade deal. The Dwarves refused, and the Elves attacked them. The city was nearly wiped out, with gruesome losses on either side, until the remaining 300 dwarves caved in a large portion of the city, hiding their enormous stockpile of treasure deep underground. The dwarves escaped with their lives, and the elves with nothing more than what they arrived with. The dwarven leader at the time, Dormor Fireforge, vowed to never trust the elves or forgive them. They ventured far north to the lands now named after him and joined with the dwarves that were already there, building the expansive city now known as Durmor. They were not seen again for another hundred years by anyone, and the elves continued on for much of the several hundred years with little war or incident. Now the wood elves are the oldest race to inhabit Idria. No one knows how long they have been inhabiting in these lands, but the elders of the Wood Elves, known as the Chosen, know exactly when. Very few are privy to the ancient lore, and not many are left alive who were there when it happened. The Wood Elves were molded by Maliki's own hand out of the soil 
Grass, water, and sunlight many thousands of years ago, when the world was still young. The Wood Elves were given the task of being the stewards of Idria. None but a few of the wisest beings in all of Idria know its true origin. The entire continent of Idria was molded by Maliki. She taught the first elves how to quickly move from one place to the next by way of tree walking. Walking through a tree like a magical portal and appearing out of another tree somewhere else in the continent. Throughout the ages, the elves have been the ones who greet all who discover the lands and do their best to protect these lands. The elves are the great teachers of all races and have ever since been loved and respected by all. Now the stepchild of Maliki, as I like to call them, the Dark Elves. The Dark Elves were created by Maliki, much like their Wood Elf siblings, but were turned away by the creative goddess due to their differences. With their eyes being much more sensitive than the Wood Elves, the Drow, as they would soon become known as, found comfort in the cool dark of the caves and underground more appealing. In the darkness and solitude, another goddess found them, Bashaba, and approached them to show them a better way of life than the surface-dwelling kin. She taught them the hunt to embrace the darkness as their own, and how to navigate the deep places of the world. She even showed them the entrance to a new subterranean world that became known as the Underdark. Down there, they could create their own world. Down there, they were the masters. And Bashaba even gave them the knowledge on how to create creature hybrids and become one with the ancient spiders that dwell deep within those caves. The drow did not re-emerge for another thousand years, and when they did, they found new races had come into the once virgin lands. Over the millennia, the drow were occasionally seen interacting with traders and small towns to buy wares and other topside goods that they could not acquire below ground. But they have remained peaceful for the majority of the time in Idria, and occasionally, those who do decide to leave the Underdark have been seen being hired as hitmen, or spies, rogues, and outlaws. The humans, the ones that I have been tasked to look over and protect and live among, are the youngest race in Idria, having only arrived on the shores of Estria and Ilstrani 1500 years ago. There were once no more than pirates, traders, raiders, and merchants from various far-off lands. The human race advanced technologically and economically quite quickly with the help of the elves, gnomes, and dwarves. And every race seems to get along with the humans more than each other and due to their sort of parenting nature they have extended to the human race. Everhelm was the first human city and with the help of the dwarves became the most fortified city as well. Trade in all forms of commerce flourished under the first of the great kings of men, Hamlin Bertrand, the most notable king following his great ancestor, Roland Bertrand, to lead the humans, dwarves, and elves against the Dragonlord Menace. Dwarves originated under the Mountain of Durmor as a creation of the god Gond himself, 
Dwarves were molded out of the stone of the mountain itself, with a dash of lust for precious metals of the earth, much like Gond has. The dwarves are proud, stubborn, and mighty people. They conquered much of the underground caverns where the goblins once inhabited, and built over them the mightiest city in all of Idria. Upon uniting their peoples, they were also in the High Peak Mountains. The dwarves have a love of precious metals, gems, trade, tech, and beer. Beer would be at the top of that list, if not for gold and mithril being so shiny and lovely to look at. With the combined help of the gnomes, dwarves flourished in the self-sustainable domain under the mountain of Dormal, named rightly after the greatest king of the dwarves. They will always help those in need, those fine dwarves. Well, except for maybe the elves, but every dwarf has their price. Now, the most technologically advanced race, and arguably the most powerful and unknown race in all of Idria are the gnomes. The gnomes are willing to help anyone outside of the city. The gnomes are willing to help these lesser races if it benefits them. Few of the races have seen the entrance to the city, Nomria, and unfortunately, I've been sworn to silence on what I've seen there, but the gnomes seem to have been, well, seem to have been created out of nothing. They appeared one day, sometime after the High Elves, but were never revealed until the time of the dwarves. They now inhabit most of the southern lands and occasionally the lands in Duramore, helping with steam technology and other magical creations. But as of late, they've been delving deeper into the powers of ley lines with the help of the elves, and to me, that scares me. Now the Dragonborn, uh, well, this race seems to have shown up out of nowhere, which, much like the gnomes, is quite curious. But specifically the Dragonborns, they came out of nowhere, much out of the deserts, and which even the wood elves are curious as to how they arrived in the lands of Idria. They haven't always been seen as less than other races, they were once mighty. But now, they seem to have been reduced to slaves, hitmen, bodyguards, and soldiers. A far step down from the once mighty Dragonborn, who helped rid the world of vampires. It wasn't until much later, when their clans united and fought to conquer the lands for their own, that they were pushed back into being a lesser race. The Orcs are the final of the large races, and... They were created by the god Malar, as a sole purpose to worship them. Orcs tend to inhabit the marshes of Bolgond, the icy tundra of Gaust, and the large deserts to the south. Their only friend in all of Idria are the Wood Elves, who are the only race to show them kindness and even trade. The other races of the world generally are disgusted by them or fear them for their brutish appearances. One of the older races of the world, Orcs, tend to stick to themselves and are only drawn out to fight if provoked or if Malar wishes it. The greatest city is that of a thousand legs, named rightly Waktu, who roams the desert. The only other race I will mention are the Tiefling, who are distraught in their own might and unfortunately are not seen very often. Their corrupted blood and the nature keeps them away from civilization most of their lives. But with that, I will conclude my studies and my overview of the races here in Idria. There are many other creatures that I will divulge later, but I fear 
We have more pressing matters, my friends. I need to put out this fire, and I need to get to sleep before we get to Everhelm. So with that, I bid you good night. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We've got all the boys here. Half the boys here. You said all. <laughs> got all. I mean half. I mean all half. Shit. Uh, all the ham. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Can't even. Uh, Gator. Burgers. Football. But yes, I hope you guys enjoyed a little bit of the history of Idria. In future episodes, I'm hoping we can do another one of these deep dives into the lore of the world. There's so much to do. There's so much to see. And in the campaign, you guys are going to see a lot more. We got a lot more exciting stuff coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exciting the... is relative. Exciting um, is relative. Yeah. The fear of the unknown. Or the um, known. Fear of the gnome, aka James, <laughs> who's leading us currently. And then it's me. And then it's Lee. I I actually have have a pretty good idea of where I'm going to take you guys. Excellent. Y'all ain't going to like it one bit. Going back to hell. No. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Hey, uh, special shout out to you, the listener, uh, for making it this far. Um, especially if you're listening to this right now. Especially if you're listening to this right now. Yeah, you thank have, you guys so much. You have come far, traveler. And you know I, I think it's safe to say that when we started this, we had no idea where we were going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely no idea that we were going to go this far. Um, the fact that we have taken an episode to explore the lore and legends of this world that we've created. But I'll tell you what, you know, rather, you know, doesn't matter if we have three listeners or 300, man. We're, we're doing it for you guys. We're doing it for you guys. Yeah. We're, we're enjoying doing it, but I mean, what keeps us doing it is anyone that's actually out there listening to us right now. We're enjoying we the feedback. We're enjoying the jokes, uh, the texts, you know, nothing brings us more joy than to hear you guys um, tell us that you're caught up, you know, tell us that you thought something was funny or frustrating. Um, it gives us motivation to continue forward um, and to push through and create new content um, such like tonight. So thank you guys. Special shout out to you. This episode is for you, the troopers who truly care about what we're doing here. And thank you to all the boys that make up this podcast, all the boys that play every single week. Past and present. Thank you to Brandon for helping at some of the lore. Thank you, Tyler, for your masterness of of all things literature and helping create this world to make it come to life. Thank you, Chris, for being here. You're not dead anymore. I'm not You're alive. Dead. I'm alive, man. Last week was rough, but I want to thank James. James. And I want to thank Shane. Yeah. Somebody forgetting? No. Well, no. I'm nervous. No. Are we forgetting someone? <laughs> Shit. No, we're not forgetting anyone. We got we got all the boys. But yes, all the listeners, thank you guys. Hope you guys enjoy this, and we're gonna give you a lot more. Stay tuned. We're recording tomorrow. Episode 31. Fuck. That's 31. half a season. That's already done. Yeah. So half, half season, season done. Half a season two is done. James Fuck. has got like one or two more episodes. So and then it so goes to excited. Lee. And then it goes to Tyler. And then it comes back we'll to see. me. To, we'll see how we'll it goes. See, we'll because goes. I don't know how many episodes. Because we're only, we're only going to 40 for the end of the season. Right. I think so. so yeah. yeah. If I get, can't get at least a full three in, then yeah. I'll just wait. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh man, Whew. what a what a fucking ride! I have no idea where it's going. I've written a lot of potential stuff, but I don't know where we're going. I, th- so. I think having the revolving door of DMs makes it exciting because literally none of us know where the fuck it's going. Yeah, and then it's just 
the mm-hmm. biggest whip. <laughs> like, it's kind of a shit of show, field. but like you know, yeah. an organized shit show. Yeah. But but connecting the dots through the shit show is half the fun because when you see those dots connect and the light bulbs go off and we're all we're all looking at Absolutely. each other in the room like, oh my god, this is crazy. I think it's gonna be fun the second time around when it's, it's like you know, a DM is going for the second time because then you know how they DM already, so you yeah. can kind mm-hmm. of expect something. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Ooh, it's hey, gonna be good. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Are you the first one to be doing twice besides Josh? Besides Josh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Shit. That's gonna be good. Well, this was fun, boys. Yeah. I'm glad you guys could come over tonight. This is good. Yeah. Get the get get some get some base level lore set in place. Moss knowledge. Moss knowledge. I can't wait to see. I'm probably gonna we'll probably do another one of these maybe in a couple months. Once we see what happens with the storyline, and then I've got some fun stuff planned. So, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if it even happens. Because maybe you guys decide to send us down a different path, yeah, and maybe then I, I have to come up with something you know, else. Smash a pink crystal with uh, you know the Dark Lord yeah. in it. I haven't written anything so far. I have an idea of what I want to do, <laughs> yeah, but I haven't yeah. written anything because I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen before. Yeah, it, I, exactly. I mean, nobody knows what's gonna happen. I still, I still remember vividly, Josh, your mm-hmm. face. When you asked me, are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> do you really want to do that? And how that just altered the course of everything. The entire course of everything the entire campaign. In one fell swoop. So uh, having the experience like that, the ability of that, or I shouldn't say ability, the possibility of that happening yeah. just makes it that much more exciting. Of turning like, the entire it's campaign. It's like, what the fuck is going to yeah. happen? I don't know. I don't know. And it's great, you know, because you listeners, I mean, I know personally I've had some listeners, you know, there's just like, what the hell is going on? And I can genuinely look them in the face and say, I have no fucking idea. Exactly. I have mean, no like, clue. One DM could be like, guess what? Eteria fucking blows up and now you're on a different planet. Right. And then I mean, Shane comes in and is like, motherfucking vampires. And yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. Mm. We still don't know what the fuck's going on, man. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is going on. We're currently inside a girl's conscience. Yeah. But damn, I look good doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, so good. God, I can't wait till my sessions. It's going to be a good time. Me. It's going to be a really good time. <laughs> he wants to rob Aphidon of his pimp juice. Nah. So. I don't want to die. Well, you might have to. Who knows? Oh, man. That would be so sad. Yeah. It would be sad. That would ruin my plans. <laughs> James, if you're listening to this, do it. <laughs> Don't kill me. Two more must die, he says. Anyways. Anyways, thank was... you guys. Thank you guys for listening. It's going to be a good time. Stay tuned for more action, more idiots, more drinking. Yeah. I don't know. I don't got anything else. I'm sure this will all be edited out, anyways. Not all of it. <laughs> Just trying to give you fuel, Lee. Me. Darkness reigns as the light is slain. Tentacled monsters wreaking havoc from another plane. We find our heroes without heart. The world falling apart. Crying out for help for they don't know. There's help that's on the way 
a magic gnome with legs of eight, a barbaric man with axe in hand, and the gods to whom they pray. Will our heroes save the